There are, we know, for example, kids that have been bullied or even cyberbullied are at higher risk uh, for suicide. Um, young people that have been identified as lesbian or gay or bisexual, transgendered, they also could be at higher risk. Uh, certainly if there's been an acute stressor in their life, for example, there's um, been a death or a, a big event, um, that could also um, be a risk factor. Um, also, there's a family history of suicide or significant depression. Uh, there also could be a genetic predisposition to suicide. So those are some of the things to think about. Uh, but again, it's so important to take all of these very seriously and to make sure kids are getting help early on. I'd like to welcome Dr. Abraham. She has MD and MPH behind her name. And thank you so much for being on the show. This is a National Suicide Month, so we're going to be talking about suicide. Um, can you give us some stats on suicide? Well, first, thank you for having me on the show, and it is National Suicide Awareness Month, and I'll just start by saying that suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people uh, in the United States, and what we know, what's concerning, is that the rates have really gone up in the last 10 years and even can continue to increase more recently. The suicide rates for kids that are 10 to 14 have nearly tripled. That's in the last 10 years, while for kids that are older, say 15 and older, they've gone up by 75%. So the numbers are increasing. But what we really worry about is that with the current COVID-19 pandemic, there are more young people that are feeling uncertain about the future, are not able to go to school, are feeling isolated from their friends. And that's all contributed to an increased level of anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. And so you've written a book called Raising Global Teens, and in that you address several subjects. How about if we start with stop comparing? Yes, one of the things I do talk about when it comes to young people and how to help them to handle stress is the fact that there are a lot of young people that think that um, everyone else's life is better than theirs. And certainly social media can play one piece in that. Certainly kids are seeing Instagram and other forms of social media where it seems like other people's lives are better than theirs. Um, and so this whole idea of encouraging them to know that everyone's life and everyone is uneven. Um, we excel in some areas, we excel in um, not all things, um, and that's okay. And there's no need for us to compare ourselves with others, particularly during this time of a pandemic. You know, it's so interesting to me because we do it and adults do it. And I feel like with social media, although there's some good connecting points about it, it's really easy to get caught up in that. And it seems like what you said, you know, is just t being aware and taking notice that we all have different strengths and we can't all be the same. That seems to be something that I think even if parents could point that out to their kids. Absolutely. I certainly think that we as adults are guilty of that just as much as our kids are. <laughs> yeah. And how about time management? Well, I think that routines and structure are very reassuring for kids. And for a number of young people, they aren't in school or they may be on online or hybrid forms of school. They may not be going to extracurricular activities or sports. So they've lost that routine. And so certainly trying to help them to create some type of structure and routine in terms of you know regular times where they're going to have meals or try to get them to go to sleep and also encouraging them to also have some non-digital time. Lots of young people, of course, on screens and computers for school and also to connect with others, but just getting them to have in their routine some time where they can relax without using any form of media um, or screens. 
Yeah, and especially coming into fall where the weather's going to be changing and that this is a good time for us to kind of do the last hurrahs outside anyway, as far as being able to be out on a regular basis. Absolutely. And uh, I like what you said about unwinding. We do know from studies that the amount of depression has really increased among adults and also from studies among young people. We know that, again, the amount of young people that are saying that they're anxious or stressed um, or depressed has increased. And I am a firm believer that we as adults need to model uh, ways to self-care. And certainly our kids are looking to us in terms of how we handle stress. So I tell young people to have what's called an anti-stress toolbox and to fill it up with the things that work for them. That means if they enjoy listening to music or watching a funny movie or chatting with their friend, that's what they need to do when they get really stressed out. And for everyone, it's different. Um, for my boys, it's getting out and you know playing soccer. It's getting out on their bikes. So it really varies. But knowing that, again, as adults, modeling that and making sure it's happening is so crucial in terms of letting them relax and handle stress and preventing all the other mental health issues we're talking about. And again, it seems like just being aware of it alone is going to help a lot when we pay attention and and we notice, hey, I'm a little bit stressed out. What am I going to do? And as adults, you know, we model that because a lot of times as adults, when we're stressed, you know, we we yell or we hurry or whatever. So being mindful to model that, especially with this different kind of time where we're just, you know, with our kids all the time. And it's not easy to do. I'm a parent. And I can certainly understand when this can be challenging, but as much as we can build that in, it's a bit like being on a plane and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child. And I think we very much need to do that. Yeah, that's such a good analogy. analogy. And then you talk about mind and body care. Well, I believe that's very important for us to keep staying physically healthy if we're going to build immunity and certainly make sure that Uh, we don't get sick. And that uh, really is encouraging young people to get adequate sleep, of course, to eat nutritious food, and to really get out and exercise as much as they can to keep their energy level and also just their mood level uh, at a a stable place. And we know as moms, a lot of times we, if we don't pay attention to self-care, then our kids aren't going to do it either. So how important it is for us to, again, model that for our kids. Something that you talk about is resilience. Well, resilience is a big buzzword right now, but I think this is a wonderful opportunity to remind kids about the challenges that they're facing and also to remind them that probably one of the biggest predictors of success in adulthood is how you get up when you face a challenge or a failure. And it's this concept of having bounce and bouncing back up. And so I really do think that a good way to frame this for young people is to say the way that you can handle these challenges, you know, graduation might be canceled, other milestones are not going to be celebrated in the same way, you're not seeing your friend, you're not able to travel or do the things you want to do. The way we can handle this and become creative and do new ways to get around it is going to be such a great way for us to kind of think about the future and how we handle challenges that occur down the line. I love that. And you're right. Resilience is what we talk about. And during this time, it's so unusual because we are all experiencing the same thing kind of at the same time. And so how do we bounce and teach our kids how to do that as well? And I often think uh, my children are grown and so they're home with their kids. <laughs> and I I just think about I was a single mom. I just I don't know how it would have been for me having to be 
home all day with the kids, you know, trying to keep them online with school and all of that. So I know that there's so much pressure. It's a really tough time for a lot of folks and particularly those that don't have that support or single parents, it can be particularly challenging, which is why I think the the final point that I suggest is the importance of conversations and connections. And I think that for young people, um, having conversations does provide connections, which are so protective against all these other issues that are happening. Um, and for adults, also just making sure that they also have those connections and those conversations can be really helpful when they're feeling challenged. Um, one of the big issues that um, parents ask me when it comes to conversations is how do you even start to have a conversation with a kid? Sometimes that can be really difficult. Do you have any secret tips? <laughs> Well, I have a few ideas. Um, The first would be that instead of talking about your child or your teenager, perhaps ask them about a friend or someone that they know. Uh, So when the pressure is taken off of them and they're talking about someone else, it's a lot easier for them to open up. So one example is we're talking about Suicide Awareness Month is to say, look, I listened to this radio program about suicide awareness. Do you know anyone around you at school or a friend or um, someone that's a classmate that struggled? with feeling depressed or frustrated or has even thought about suicide. And they may bring something up because a lot of young people have heard things now um, about their classmates or peers struggling. But on top of that, that opens the door for them to talk a little bit more about themselves. And then you can go into more direct questions like, have you ever felt down or sad or life is not worth living? And I'm a firm believer that we need to ask questions very directly. Many times parents and caregivers are afraid that if they ask about suicide, that their kid is more likely to become suicidal, mm-hmm. but the opposite is true, they're more likely to get the support and the help they need. Um, I want to ask you some other questions about that, but let's get to the next point about getting help. And then um, and then I'll um, pose a couple of other questions to you. So um, how about getting help? Well, I think that if you have a young person that's struggling, it's so important to make sure that you get support early on. And there can sometimes be some stigma related to that, but I think that normalizing conversations and having regular conversations helps plant the seed for kids to come back um, when something really is an issue. And that's the time where you can turn to a trusted adult, to a coach, a mentor, um, or a health professional. And certainly if you have concerns that they may just be frustrated or stressed, um, I think all of those folks are good ones to turn to. If you are worried that your child is actively suicidal, that is the opportunity where you need to call a suicide hotline, you need to go to the emergency room or talk to a health professional. But I do think it's so important to try to get that help early on to seek those resources. Um, That's so important for kids right now that are struggling. I know that you do seminars. You do seminars for teens, parents, and faculties. Do you, are those separate? Like, do you do one for teens, one for parents, or is it everybody's there? I usually do, and they're now webinars because it's very hard to do person, Um, but I I usually do sessions specific to either young people or adults. I think it's sometimes a little hard to get everyone in the same room. Uh, I certainly uh, try to reiterate messages that kids may bring up or parents may bring up, but I try to, in many cases, keep them separate. My son, when he was in high school, his best friend died by suicide, and he didn't want to talk about it. And it was so difficult to know how, how hard to push, what to do. You know, he was about to graduate. He was already 18. And 
I think as a parent, sometimes it's really hard to know what to do. And I, I heard you say, you know, talk direct. Do you have any other advice for maybe a parent who's trying to help a teen who's suffering the loss of a friend? Thank you for bringing that up. And I'm so sorry to hear that. And I hope that your son was able to um, handle that and process it. I agree with you. It can be really challenging and it's hard to know sometimes how to support kids when they don't want to open up and they don't want to talk about it. But I think the short answer is there is a grieving process and we do need to tell our kids that we understand we're there for them. We support them, want to make sure that they get the help that they need. This is going to be something that will impact and continuing just to reiterate that message, I think is one piece of it. Uh, Just knowing that you're there is really helpful, but certainly as I mentioned, there are other resources that you can turn to if you really feel that your child is grieving or is not able to move on or is, is feeling that loss. One of the wonderful things that's come out of the pandemic, if there's anything that's good that's come out of it, <laughs> is that there are more providers that are now providing consults through telemedicine. So you don't have to actually go in to see a provider in a clinic or a hospital. You can certainly do a lot of this virtually if you're worried. But I do think that creating that that link and making sure that there is some additional support, maybe the other piece if you have a child that's experiencing a loss like that. And then also, I know some people, last year we had a coworker that just right in the middle of the workday got a message that a good friend of their family, none of us knew them, but he he stood up and he had found out that this kid who was so successful and ready to graduate had um, died by suicide. And the whole, all of us were just standing there, nobody knowing what to say. And then, of course, conversations come up. And what do you, what would you have advice to say to a coworker who says maybe, oh, my kid's really struggling with depression and I don't know if, you know, if they're suicidal, I don't know what to do. As friends, how can we support friends and coworkers? That's another wonderful question. And I think that it's so important to tell them that there are resources if they feel that their child or teenager is struggling with these issues. And there is, again, wonderful counselors or therapists or other individuals that can connect with them and support them. And to not feel frustrated or feel alone, um, this is really the time to get help. It's tough enough to be a teenager right now, you know, where you're struggling with issues related to identity and your bodies and changes and relationships. But then you add on to that, you know, feeling depressed or frustrated, or in this case, potentially suicidal, it's really important to make sure they get uh, support. So that would be my message back to your coworker is, um, how do we help you to get the resources that your, your child needs? How can we get the help and support that they need early on? Great. And that it's okay. Yes. That's such an important message. I lived in Asia, um, in Hong Kong for many years. And I will just say that culturally, there is a tremendous stigma in that part of the world to actually seek help and to get psychological help in particular. And so the, the first step is just even knowing that it's okay to get help. There's nothing wrong with that. It's really important to do. These are things that can affect you for the rest of your life or your child for the rest of their life. It's so important to get that support. There's one other thing I was thinking of, and this is one thing my son said to me a lot. This was several years after when he was able to talk a little better. He said, mom, everyone kept saying, did you know? He he had so much guilt and sadness because they worked together. And so they didn't work that night. And, you know, of course, he's thinking if I would have gone, which we all know, that's not the truth, but people tend to say really crazy things to people when they've lost someone. 
what what would you say is the best thing to console someone when they're going through this? Well, I think that there are certainly signs of um, a young person that um, could be suicidal, but also um, in many cases, you just don't know. And it's really hard to know. So uh, reminding them that it wasn't their fault, they shouldn't feel guilty. It, in many cases, there are probably other things that occurred um, either over a period of time or even very acutely that are completely out of their control. Mm-hmm. Um, but being aware of that and you know, knowing in the future if that's something that they're experiencing is so important. And some of those warning signs, if they do happen, would include withdrawing suddenly from you know, contact with friends or peers, uh, writing or at all, um, talking about suicide or not wanting to be around, maybe an increased use of alcohol or drugs or giving away their belongings. But these are all kind of the very um, uh, classic warning signs. And in some cases, they just don't occur. And that's why this can be really tricky for parents. And that's why those regular conversations and connections are important. But it's also why um, in these cases, we need to remind folks, you may not know, and you shouldn't feel guilty. And, um, you know, this is going to be a tough time for everyone. What would you say for a child, maybe high school or whatever, they, they do have a friend that says, I'm thinking about committing suicide. What's, how does that friend, what's a good, some good tools for them to respond Well, it's very important to take those concerns seriously, uh, to never never shrug it off. It's just teen drama. Sometimes kids will say things, but I think it's so important to take that seriously. Uh, You certainly want to find out um, whether or not that's something they are going to act on immediately if they truly feel that they are in danger of hurting themselves uh, in the next few hours or day. And also what their plan is, if they have a specific plan. Mm. Um, sometimes young people have a very clear idea of what they're going to do. Others, it's a little bit more abstract and they just have more of this concept, but they don't know how to execute it. Um, and certainly trying to remove anything that can, they could use to harm themselves, whether it's drugs or medications or weapons, um, even access to a car. Those would all be things to consider. Uh, again, if they are actively suicidal, they have a clear plan, it's something that they don't feel like they would be safe if they were left alone, that's someone that we, you would certainly want to contact a suicide hotline or bring them into the nearest emergency room and contact your health provider. That is something you cannot delay on. Great. That's good information. And I think it's it's in, in a way like a heart attack people when they think they're having a heart attack, but they're like, no, I'm not. But then finally somebody calls 911. You know, it's like... I, I feel like it's better to err on the side of being wrong if they're uh, vocalizing this than to be like, okay, well, you know, I'll check in on you tomorrow. And I completely agree. And sometimes we try to minimize things because we just don't want to have to follow up on it. Um, but I agree that it's so important to take these things seriously. Uh, the other point is if someone is not actively suicidal, but you're still concerned, that is someone that um, you do want to create some kind of a contract or plan with. Certainly when a young person comes to see me, we kind of talk about what they would do if they felt that they wanted to do something more. Who are they going to contact? What numbers are they going to call? How do they make sure that they're safe? So that would be the other thing to consider if you're if someone really has told you that they're thinking of suicide. That's so good. Now, on the other side of that, I work with a lot of women that are coming out of abusive situations and then their partner will threaten suicide. And it's so difficult because it may be a threat. It may be real. Uh, what do you suggest at that? Because it may be a ploy to get them to go back into a bad situation, pulls on your emotions. How is the best way to deal with those situations? Well, that is a 
good question. And I have to say, it, it sounds really difficult to have to navigate because, um, again, you just don't know if this is being used as a weapon, a psychological weapon against you, or if it actually is a true threat. And I think that you probably still need to do the same things by activating the system and contacting someone. And if it is something that's just a, a, a threat, it also helps to at least create some documentation that this is happening and that this person is consistently using these means to try to harm them. Uh, so, again, I think just important things to consider. That's such a good point. So are there certain kids that are at higher risk for suicide than others? There are. We know, for example, kids that have been bullied or even cyberbullied are at higher risk uh, for suicide. Um, Young people that have been identified as lesbian or gay or bisexual, transgendered, they also could be at higher risk. Certainly, if there's been an acute stressor in their life, for example, there's um, been a death or a a big event, um, that could also be a risk factor. Also, if there's a family history of suicide or significant depression, uh, there also could be a genetic predisposition to suicide. So those are some of the things to think about. Uh, but again, it's so important to take all of these very seriously and to make sure kids are getting help early on. If a parent has a child that's a little bit, like you said, they start isolating, they're kind of isolating a little, and teens kind of do that when they get older, you know, they want their time in their room. If a parent is really concerned and they can't quite get the child to talk about it, what are some other things like that they can do, like bring in a professional or? Well, I have to say I'm a pediatrician, but I'm also a parent. So I'll just tell you an experience that's happened very recently. We've had a very big move. We moved recently from Europe to D.C. My husband's still abroad, so I'm uh, solo parenting right now. And I have a son that really is not enjoying the online experience and also feels very much isolated and resentful of all of the changes that have gone on. Uh, So we found out that he wasn't doing um, his science assignment. And there was a bit of a moment where he felt really upset and angry and not willing to talk and kind of pulling away from everybody else. And um, it it was a a moment where I really realized as a parent that I wasn't going to be the most effective person to intervene. And that's where I actually called my mom, who he has a very good relationship with. And she basically did a 45 minute call by video chat with him and really was able to talk to him in a very different way about what he was going through, what he was feeling, why he was frustrated with the system, what he felt he was losing out on by our recent move and transition and the online experience. That's a very long way of saying that we just need to know who are those folks that we can call when we aren't able to provide the support that we think um, is necessary. And again, it could be a parent, it could be Uh, a friend, it could be a coach, it could be a mentor, but having that, I mean, we talk about raising kids in a village and having a global village. And I think um, creating that community is so incredibly important um, given all of what's happening right now with the pandemic. Yeah, I was a single parent and I was so grateful. We lived in a small community. And for me, we had cousin Donna. She was close enough to my kids' age. She was kind of like halfway between me and them. And I knew if they needed to just vent, if they were angry at me or whatever, that they could go to her and say whatever they wanted and it would be okay. And I think there's so much to be said for that and for the parent not to worry about being judged, but let their child have be able to have those kind of conversations. Um, a lot of times they may be mad at a parent, but that's not really what it's about. It's the only way they know how to express something. 
So for me, I loved it. If they're like, I need Cousin Donna, I'm like, okay. (laughs) I'm probably not going to like what you have to say, but I knew that Donna would not judge me. And I think that that's when you say it takes a village. I, I feel like that's what's so important if we can give each other grace as we walk through these parenting moments. Yes, I, I think it's so important to have those people you can lean on and and to have the grace to know you can't do it by yourself. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I just want to wrap up with, well, first of all, where can we get your book? My book, Raising Global Teens, will be coming out on October 1st, and it's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles. Okay. Raising Global Teens. I love that title. And if somebody was interested in in one of your uh, webinars, how would they get a hold of you? They can go to my website, which is dranishaabraham.com. Okay. And so just a few things that kind of stuck with me is one is stop the comparison, which um, I think is really something that the whole family can work on together. And Also, that self-care part, I just see how prevalent that is. And you would think with an epidemic when we're all kind of hunkered down, it would be easier. But people are saying, I haven't taken a bath and, you know, um, because they don't have to. So I I think paying attention to the self-care and then also having those hard conversations and finding creative ways to have them. Those are all wonderful points. And I hope that um, your listeners are able to kind of build those into, into their lives. I think they're so protected knowing what our kids are facing right now. Yeah. And just even acknowledging what they're facing. You know, it's interesting. I hear teachers who are just struggling because they're having to learn how to do the online teaching. Then I hear parents who are just struggling because they're having to figure out how to help their kids with the online teaching. And then the kids who are just so upset because they've had to give up so much and now they didn't get to go back to school. And so it just seems like we're kind of in this Petri dish of emotions. Those are great points. I love your analogy of the Petri dish. We really are in a bit of a Petri dish right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dr. Abraham, thank you so much. I will be posting the name of your book and a link to your website in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much. This is very timely. Thank you. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.